you have your Bibles, go with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 18 through 21. Um, hope you guys have enjoyed the series on identity and rhythms. I hope it has opened up your eyes to uh, some new things. Uh, uh, one of the kind of underlying tone or uh, underlying themes, if you will, of this series has been us really looking at God's Word and asking the question, how does this apply to our lives? Which has really been, I think, what we've struggled with as a church over the past couple years uh, has been, like, we're learning knowledge of God, but somewhere it's not translating into life. Uh, so it's one thing to know that Jesus died on the cross, but what are the implications and what's the application of that for my life? It's, it's one thing to know that Jesus was a servant, but what's the application of that? And what are the implications for my life? Uh, things like, well, that means I can't be selfish anymore. If I'm a servant, then where do, selfishness does not fit into servanthood. Um, or the idea that I'm a family member. So the idea of solitude uh, to the exclusion of familial relations doesn't fit anymore like I, I yeah there's times where I need to go off and have quiet you know we see that with Christ and where he prayed and spent time with the father but but it was not to the ultimate exclusion of his family of the at that point it would be largely the disciples and so the idea of a living life in this individualistic society that we have apart from the family of God it just doesn't fit anymore so that has to, like, we have to begin thinking in different ways if this is true of our identity, being that we are family, we are servants, we are worshipers, we are learners. Uh, I'll give you another example. If we are learners, if we are disciples of Jesus, that, right? If we are disciples of Jesus, we will learn how to follow Jesus. We will study Jesus. We will study His Word. We will learn His Word. We will follow his word. Uh, and you say, all right, man, I got that. But the problem is that in our culture today, our, just your typical Christian doesn't look like a disciple of Jesus. They look like a religious person that just simply wants to do their church thing and has real no intention of actually following Christ. So if you're a learner, if that's your identity, then you will learn Jesus. You will learn him the so we think about this, okay, so where do we tie this back to the character of Christ and God? Christ learned the Father. I mean, we see this in His humanity. He's growing in wisdom and growing in knowledge. At the age of 12, says that He astounded the religious leaders at what He knew about God, about His Father. He wasn't born with that. I don't believe anyways. I don't believe that Jesus was born with all knowledge, at least in His humanity. He grew in that. And so just as Jesus was a learner or a disciple, he, he was a learner, we too should be learners of God. And here's the deal. This is the thing. If, we, if that is our identity, then we'll live it out. But if we're not living it out, then it's probably not our identity. And that's the whole point. If, if you just take what we're saying, this is our identity, here's how we live it out. If you want to know, is this my identity, then just look at how you're living it out. Am I living out this as a servant? Well, then if I'm not, then maybe that isn't my identity. The same thing will hold true today. Today, we're going to finish up the series talking about being, or being as in identity, not as in doing, but as in being missionaries, which will result in a doing, but it is first our identity as missionaries. Now, I'm sure if you've grown up in church or been to church at least any decent amount of times, you've heard many sermons on evangelism or on being missionaries. Uh, and I hope that for, for those of you, uh, I mean, this is kind of a consistent theme here, but uh, I hope this is not just the same old sermon on evangelism. I don't believe it will be, but... Maybe you've heard sermons on how the field is ripe unto harvest. Anybody heard a sermon with that theme? Uh, not that that's wrong. Just saying that's, a, that's one that I've heard. Or how if you don't go, then who will tell them the good news? Uh, again, not that that's wrong or bad, but just some examples of other sermons. How you should tell it on the mountain. 
right? Uh, we're going to sing that song in a little bit. Uh, how about how that poor person might go to hell if they don't hear the good news? And maybe how it all depends on you um, when it comes to evangelism and, and missionary efforts. Uh, today I want to tell you that if your identity has changed, if God has changed your identity, then when it comes to being a missionary, you have no choice but to live as a missionary. Right? If God has changed your identity and you are a missionary, that's part of your following Christ, you have now become a missionary, then you have no choice but to live as a missionary. Now, I don't mean that you have no choice like in a figurative sense. I mean like you have no choice. Like that's who you are. I mean that basically if you have been changed, then you will bring about change. If God has reconciled you, then you will bring about reconciliation around you. If you are being restored by the gospel, then you will bring about restoration through the gospel around you. Or as a pastor said, his name is Perry Noble, says, found people find people. A found person will find people. You ask this question, so how then is it if I am a follower of Christ that I don't live out this identity? What's going on? If, 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 if this is who I am, then, and I think this is who I am, I think I'm a follower of Christ, I think that my identity is, is a missionary, then why don't I live this out? Why, why do I not see people coming to Christ around me? Why do I not share the gospel and bring about restoration around me? And I would argue, at least for many of us, ultimately it's because we don't believe something about God and the reality of that truth in our life. We don't believe something true about God and the reality of that truth in our lives. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you do not live out your life as a missionary, then you don't believe something about God that pertains to being a missionary and the reality of that truth and its impact on your life. Now, let me give you a couple examples of what maybe that could be. Maybe, and I want you to understand, most of us don't think of ourselves, I heard um, Tim Chester say, um, uh, another author and pastor, he said this, he said that, we, most of us don't think of ourselves as believing lies. But when we believe something that's untrue of God, it's believing a lie. And we often live by lies. And this is, that's, that's, that's the indictment this morning that I'm saying to us, is that if we don't live the life of a missionary, we're believing a lie. You're living by a lie. And as people of God, we should despise lies because God is not a lie. God is truth. And so anything that does not accurately represent God, we should despise. And a lie about God is something that we should get rid of. Maybe the lie that you believe is that God saved you, but now you live by your own self-righteousness, no longer needing the reconciling work of the gospel. I think that's a common issue why people do not live as missionaries is because they saw God as a missionary God in their initial justification and salvation, but they don't see God continuing that reconciliating work in their life until the day they die. So why then would you go on to speak of this reconciliating work of God if it was something that happened to you 20 years ago? But if it's something that happens to you that God is, is working in your heart daily, bringing about restoration, then you would have no choice but to share about what God's doing in your life. But if God's just a relic of the past, then He would be very, of very little importance to you today. So many of us do not live as missionaries because God is a thing of the past and our self-righteous is now the thing of today. Maybe the other lie that you believe, that would be, I would say, the, the lie of if you are a follower of Christ, then, then what's going on? Why are we not living as a missionary? But if you're not a follower of Christ, maybe the lie that you believe is that you've always lived by your self-righteousness and have never been reconciled by the gospel. Let me give you a couple questions to ask, to think through. Am I a follower of Christ? <clears throat> Because that would affect my missionary living. Of course, we're talking about missionary living, but we need to get this right first. Some questions to ask of if I am a follower of Christ, do I desire to know God more each day? 
I think we all should ask that question. Do I desire to know God more each day? Do I desire to live as a servant and He as my King? I tell you what, one of the coolest things for me has been reading through um, the big storybook Bible with my son. And just, just getting from a, from a kid's perspective an overview of the Bible. And we just read through Jesus on the cross and, and Jesus is now risen. And, but just start in the Old Testament, work through, and just to see like the theme of God, King, His people, not wanting to be His people, and then God sending Jesus to redeem His people so that they would then obey and want God as their King. And just to see that theme uh, with my son has just impacted my heart, um, and I know is impacting his, at least I pray it is. So do you desire to live as a servant and he as your king? Do I repent daily and feel the weight of my sin? So I mean, if we're not living this, then we're not followers of God. He is our king. We follow him. Now, back to this idea of a sermon on evangelism. I'm sure every other sermon we've heard often has been uh, concerning being a missionary or evangelism has encouraged us to try harder or to guilt us into sharing our faith. I mean, that's, that's been a consistency in my life that, uh, that there's been this level of guilt just thrusted upon our shoulders when it comes to evangelism and being a missionary. And today I want to tell us that if you're not living as a missionary, then you don't ultimately believe this passage and what it says about God that we're going to read today. And that would require repentance if we do not believe this to be true. So today, when it comes to missionary, I want to set the stage with this. When it comes to the idea of being a missionary, today it's not try harder today and tomorrow and this week to be a missionary. Today it's repent more in order to be a missionary. Today it's live in God's reconciliating work more in order to then be a missionary. Guys, biblical repentance leads to true reconciliation, which motivates missional living. Let me say that again. Biblical repentance leads to true reconciliation, which motivates missional living. This passage is about the reconciliating work of the gospel in our lives and what God has done and is continuing to do in our lives. And then out of that comes this ambassador-type living that God has called us to. It's this reconciliating work that brings about this change in our lives, which is ultimately a display of the glory of God to a lost world. It is God's appeal to the world through us. That is His reconciliating work. That's how He makes His reconciliating work. So if we want to be missionaries, if you desire for the people around you to, to not go to hell, but instead to go to heaven, to live as the God is their king, then it's not just simply try harder. You'll fail in two weeks or one week or three weeks later. It's live in the reconciliating work of God as God brings about transformation in your life. If you live, if you're living in the reconciliating work of your heavenly Father, then you will administer His reconciliation. And that's this kind of what we're the thrust, I think, of this passage is that in order to be God's ambassadors, then God has to reconcile in our lives. So if we're going to bring about reconciliation around us, restoration around us, then we must first experience that reconciliating and continue to experience that restoration work of God in our lives. Understand, the reconciliating work of God in your life has to stop being compartmentalized as well. Right? So it's not God reconciled me over here, you know, he, he redeemed my heart, but then this is how I live. Guys, the reconciliating work of God permeates all of our life. The restorative work of God is not just one part of our lives. It's not just our spiritual lives, but that permeates, should begin to permeate, for example, our emotions, our thought life, our work life, our communication our eating, our blessing, our recreating, the restorative work of God should be guiding and impacting 
all areas of our lives, but we oftentimes are okay with settling for the application of the gospel to that part of our life which is most convenient for our pride often. We're okay with God changing us over here because we're willing to let that one go. But we're not willing to let God restore this part of my life because I'm not really willing to let that up yet. So, a missionary, though, is now your identity, but it has to begin with what is God doing inside of me? What has God done inside of me? So with all that said, let's read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 through 21. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us or to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to pray for us this morning. Father, I just ask that as we work through this text, that, um, Father, you would help us to see your work in reconciliation. That we would... We would depart from this man-made self-righteousness. Uh, we would depart from this uh, ability to accomplish this task ourselves. And that we would begin to grasp and understand and love that, Father, this is first and foremost your work. And, Father, that your work then has implications, necessary implications and applications for our lives. Um, so, Father, I ask your blessing on us this morning, on our hearts and on our minds. And in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, hear what Paul says. He says that clearly what God has done is determinative of who we are. Right? Ultimately, what God has done is determinative of who we are. God has done something that changes our identity. Something that changes from the inside out, that resets, that gives us something new. Specifically, what God has done in Christ on the cross is determinative of who we are as Christians. That's what Paul is getting at right here. What God has done on the cross is determinative of who we are. Look at the verse right before this passage, verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's talking about this new identity. We have something new. That something has changed. The cross has made a change in our lives. The cross has changed our identity. And I think as we go through, I think there's kind of three things that Paul wants us to understand here in these few verses. I have to admit, I started out going to preach like the whole chapter and then as I studied, I kind of whittled it down to like half the chapter. And then as I studied further, I kind of whittled it down and, and uh, kind of went to my default, and that is preach on three verses, uh, uh, which is more fun, but uh, at least for me, than preaching on whole passages. But, so we're going to look at these three verses, 18, 19, 20, 21, that's four verses rather, uh, to see what is God, what is, what is Paul wanting to point out to us concerning reconciliating work of God, and then its impact on us as missionaries. And Paul wants us in this passage to understand the cross and first and foremost, the work of the Father. So I think when we get to evangelism, we get to missionary work, we get, we get things all out of whack because we tend to begin with, there's lots of lost people out there that need Christ and we all got to go get them completely missing whose work it ultimately is. 
And Paul here is wanting to point out to us first and foremost that missionary work is the work of God. Missionary work is first and foremost the work of God. It's His job. It's His work. It was His idea. It was His plan. It is His plan. It will always be His plan. I don't mean in an eternal sense, because eventually missionary work will end. But until this side of eternity ends, missionary work is God's plan. It's His work. If you look in the passage, I just want to highlight some things in this passage. We'll go back to 18. This is what we're going to do with each main point. It's kind of reread those verses, but I want to kind of put in bold for you, if you will, vocally, the words that kind of go with this theme of what Paul is saying. So verse 18, all this is from who? God, who through himself reconciled us to what? himself. He reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God, right? God was reconciling the world to himself. So who's doing the reconciling work here? God. Not counting the trespasses against him and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, what? Making His appeal through us. So it was God's reconciling work in the beginning, and it's God's still His reconciling work through us when we go out as missionaries, or as Paul says here, ambassadors. So it's God's work then, and it's still God's work now. God is the one who makes His appeal through us. It's still His work. Notice Paul's emphasis. God the Father is the agent behind the giving of Jesus Christ. Jesus is His Son and His Son to give. God is, it's, it's, it's not, guys, we have this picture of, well, it's God was mad at the universe and Jesus is like, okay, well, God, I'll, I'll go help take care of them so that you don't have to be mad at them any longer. No, it was God in His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, and in His mercy and grace that He gives His Son. It was His plan. It wasn't God's mad and Jesus says, Oh God, Father, don't please be mad. I'll go take care of it. No, it was God in His righteous anger and in His just justice and His mercy and grace says, Son, I'm going to give you to reconcile the world to Myself. Paul wants us to see the Father's love and mercy here. I mean, understand, particularly as a Jew, Paul here would be understanding very deeply the wrath and the anger of God. And the justice and the the requirement there. And Paul here says it's God who did this work. It's God who set forth the plan and carried out the plan to reconcile the world to himself. It's God through Christ reconciling the world. Now it's easy for us, I think, to think that among this big, huge world that Jesus has this little, kind of small part in providing a ticket to heaven for God's little Christians. I think we can kind of think of it that way. Instead, God. think about this, the God, the creator of the universe, through His chosen means of His Son, Paul tells us, is reconciling the world to himself. Now, I don't take this, I don't have time to get into this today. I don't take this to mean universalism, as in Jesus is redeeming all people to himself and all people will be in heaven. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here, but what he's saying though is that Paul, that Christ, or that God is paying the price for the restoration of his creation. His creation that groans to be restored. Animals devouring sickness that destroys life on this planet. All of mankind, apart from the restraining grace, would have destroyed itself thousands of years ago. Our, our hatred, our pride, our sickness, the killing, the arrogance. God is paying the price with His Son so that His creation would be restored. This is not just some little small part of God's big grand plan. This is the key to his plan. This is the, the climax of his plan. 
This was no small side job that Jesus kind of took care of for God. This is a grand plan. I want us to look at a couple verses that Paul wrote in Romans. Verse 8, he says, But God shows His love for us. Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I just want to draw it for us to help us understand. When God's doing this reconciling work on the cross, it's not because we were good people. It was in spite of our sinfulness. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the same thing for us today. We, We think, well... I've got to get myself clean enough, and then God can save me, right? No. God saved us while we were still sinners. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And I think in these two verses, in, in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, where we're at in verse chapter 5, And in multiple other places, Paul and Christ as well show us and draw our attention to the work of the Father in this reconciliating work. See the Father. And this is crucial. This is crucial because when we think of repentance, we tend to, I think, shy away from God. We shy away thinking that God... Was, is this God who's righteous and just and holy, and uh, you know Jesus is the nice one that I can go to, right? He's the one that I can confess my sins to, and, and then I can kind of go to God after I've done that. Guys, think about what Paul's saying here. He's saying that the reconciling work that has brought us into right relationship with God is God's work. It was His plan. So when we think about repentance, and we ultimately our repentance is to a holy God, particularly God the Father, we think oftentimes, well, I need to clean myself up before I go to God, or, or God is displeased with me. And, and, and yes, that might be true in our actions, but our identity and our position before God, the truth is, is that God loves you, and God loves me. He loves us. It was His plan. I mean, think about if you live in the fact that I'm a dreadful sinner, God has devised this plan to reconcile me, and I live in that truth every day. How can I not adore the Father? How can I not love the Father and and enjoy His grace and enjoy His mercy when I see that it was His plan? It wasn't Jesus saying, all right, God, I'll take care of it. It was God's plan. It was His desire. It was His mercy. It was His grace. The truth is the Father is more ready to forgive you than you are to ask for forgiveness. Let me say that one more time. Your Father is more ready to forgive you than you are to ask for forgiveness. The forgiveness is already yours. We just have to ask for it. You don't have to question whether or not God will accept you. Run to Him. I'm speaking here particularly to those who are followers of Christ and struggle with this daily. You don't have to question. You don't have to wonder whether or not God will forgive you. Run to Him. This was His plan. He devised this. So as we move forward, the question we have to ask in this passage is, how can a holy, righteous, and just God do this? How can He bring those who are evil into His presence? How can He make this just? I mean, we think about this question in our world today. You have this very clearly evidenced, uh, let's say, uh, a child molester or rapist or something like that, and you put them before the judge, and the judge goes, I see all the evidence. But there's going to be no punishment for him. How many of us would think that's a good judge? Anybody? That would be a terrible judge. It's, ter- it's terrible. Like, something should be done to that judge, right? 
So how can God, like you and I are ter- more terrible in relationship to God than any rapist, child molester. And yet how does God then reconcile us to Himself? Guys, the world, we think, think about this, the world does not desire God. You often do not desire God. You did not desire God at one point in your life. And our flesh even still desires often everything but God. In our pride, we reject God, some of us, daily. Guys, man in his own sin would never choose God. It must be an act of God. I want to read to you uh, a section from this recent song that came out not too long ago. Uh, Shy Lin, if you know who Shy Lin is, he says this. He says, election must be unconditional then. Some people say that we were drowning in the ocean, barely floating until God threw us the rope. Then our free will helped us as we groped. Our faith is the hand that grabbed the rope and God puts us back in the boat. He says, nope. Without apology, I deny that analogy. The reality is we were dead at the bottom of the ocean. He says, I was a swollen corpse with hope no more until Jehovah the Lord dove from the shore to the ocean floor. Yeah, I was a corpse and I smelled like it. I'll keep it simple. Why did God choose me? Because He felt like it. Um, we think of God's reconciling work. The point I want to drive home, I think Paul is driving home to us, is that it was His work in spite of us. He didn't do it because we deserved it. He did it because He loved us. And that when we think about even the idea of election and God choosing to save some people, if God would not have chosen to do that, we would have no hope. If God did not choose to reconcile some, then we would all be lost. The passage doesn't say that God reconciled the world to Himself after they took the first step. Like it doesn't say that God reconciled the world once they you know, got themselves kind of cleaned up enough so that God could, could, attack, could do the, the task. It says that God was the one who reconciled the world to Himself. And then get this, because I think this is what Paul drives to even at the end, and I want to get ahead of myself, but even as we partake in the task of being ambassadors, whose work is it still? It's God's. It's Him making the appeal through us. So this is Paul's point. We were not the agents in our salvation. It is God's work alone. It was His work to reconcile us. So when we go out as missionaries, if we're going to live out our identity as missionaries, we must understand most foundationally that it is God's work. That if that person that we so deeply care about, we so love, and we want them to experience the grace of God, and they will not do it. We have to understand that it's God's work. Only God can change their heart. Only God can bring about and orchestrate the circumstances in their lives where they will begin to desire that which they should and were meant to desire, and that is a holy God, and to love and worship Him. Only God can do that. But we have to understand that first and foremost in our own lives. Because in our self-made culture, we get into this, this kind of this rut of, I'm earning my righteousness. And then we begin to leave and depart from the reconciliating and, and the continued restorative work of God in our lives, where we begin to live on our own self-righteousness. So why would we ever proclaim to someone a relic of the past? But friends, God, God is not a relic of the past. He is a living, breathing, change agent in our lives today. And that we have no choice but to share if that's true in our lives. So again, if God is holy and we are wicked, 
and we have the propensity to never choose God, then how does this God reconcile His world to Himself? So understanding that it's God's work, now how does God do it? Because again, if we're going to talk about reconciliation to a world that needs it, we have to understand first that it's God's work, and then we got to understand how does God do it? How does God do this reconciliation? You, you, I mean, you go to someone and say, yeah, you need to get right with God, and God loves you, and you need to ask for forgiveness. And So how does, how does that God make me right with Him if I'm so evil? Like, we need to understand that question. So I think first, the second main point for, from this passage that Paul would want us to understand is that God changes our identity by reconciling us to Himself through Christ. Now we're going to unpack this pretty briefly, admittedly, but we're going to unpack this. God changes our identity by reconciling us to Himself through Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. So God was reconciling to the world to Himself where? Where? How? In Christ, right? In Christ. Look at verse 21. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, just that verse alone is just glorious, right? It's just amazing. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him... Right? So, Jesus, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So the Father purposes in His love for us to be reconciled to Himself. But, again, how does He do this? I mean, does He just overlook our sin? Does He sweep your depravity under the rug? Does He forget our pride and arrogance? Does He, does he want you to just think happy thoughts and claim our best life now? I mean, does, does He just want us to be happy and, and He'll be happy? Does God want us to have our cup of tea with the side of Jesus? I mean, is that what He wants us to do? Is that how God reconciles us to Himself? I think Paul here focuses on two things. First of all, that He does not count our sin against us. That's first part of how does God reconcile the world to himself, those who are dreadfully evil to him who is infinitely holy. How does he do it? First of all, he does not count our sin against us. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. He says, not counting their trespasses against them. Instead, but God, he doesn't just sweep our sins under the rug. He takes care of them. And we're going to find out how he takes care of them, but he takes care of the problem. And guys, something else I want to point out to us, it's not us plus Him taking care of the problem. It's Him taking care of the problem. It's not us plus cleaning ourselves up, plus self-righteousness, plus getting baptized, plus joining the church, plus doing the right things, plus God. No, it's God taking care of the problem. How does He do this? Second point. He does this by thrusting our sin and the just judgment of that sin on His Son. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. By thrusting our sin and the just judgment of that sin on His Son. You want to talk about motivation for missional living? The fact that a holy God would thrust your nasty sin and my nasty sin onto His righteous and holy Son. And then would thrust the most deserving payment from God for our sin onto the one who did not deserve an ounce of that justice, that judgment on Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. What does this mean? It means that He made Jesus to be a sin bearer. He would carry that sin. Oh, but just for a few moments. But that He would carry those sins. Galatians 3.13 
It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by what? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. So what happens is God cursed His own Son. He became our propitiation. There's your theological term for the day. He absorbed propitiation, basically meaning a wrath absorber. He absorbed the wrath due us so that we might experience the inheritance that was due to Him. So He made Him to absorb the wrath of God, that which we deserve, so that we might inherit that which He deserved. And it says that this was for our sake. Ultimately for God's glory, but this was for our sake. There is great benefits of this to us. I want to show you something I think is really awesome here. If you go to, uh, you don't have to turn there right now, but I would encourage you to look at this later. Numbers 5, verse 2. Uh, anyone, just want you to understand this picture. Anyone with leprosy, discharge, like a, like a bloody discharge, death, like must be cast out of the camp because if you were to touch them then you'd be considered unclean you guys know what i'm talking about like this was, was nasty I mean, this this was they were kind of considered outcasts you could not touch them or else you would now be part of them and i think luke had this in mind when he was talking or writing in luke chapters 5 and verse 8 again you can look at those later but in luke 5 what happens uh, if you remember from from early on a, a leper approaches Jesus. And Jesus reaches out to touch him. Now think about this. A good Hebrew. Now Jesus knew his Old Testament, so Jesus was a good Hebrew. But a good Hebrew at that point would have said what as Jesus reached out to touch the leper? Stop! Don't do it! Jesus, you're supposed to be king. You'll be made unclean. But what happens? Jesus touches him. And instead of Jesus getting dirty, the man is healed. The man is made clean. The brokenness of this disease doesn't break Jesus. Instead, he breaks this disease. Now look at verse chapter 8. Or, or look at, you can look at 8 later. But a man wants Jesus to come heal his daughter, right? And on his way, a woman with a discharge, another unclean person, reaches out to touch Jesus. Remember the story? Right? Now a good Hebrew at this point would have said what? Stop! Don't let her touch you, Jesus. You're a king. You're clean. Instead, though, of being made unclean, what happens? The woman is healed. Then, again, once Jesus gets to the man's daughter, death, right? Touching death would have made someone unclean. When Jesus gets there, he sees the man's daughter. Instead of death making Christ dirty, the girl is healed. It's made alive. Guys, Jesus is so consumed with the reconciliating work of the Father that everything he touches is restored. The brokenness is fixed. The disease is healed. This is what we see in the ministry of Christ. Understand that this is what's happening to us as our sins are laid on Him. They don't make Him unclean. They make you and I clean. They don't make Him dirty. They make us clean. Our sin doesn't break Him. He breaks our sin. Jesus absorbed it all because he could because it was the father's plan it didn't break him he broke it death right could not hold him right he broke death this is what happens this is how god can make him the propitiation for our sin is because his infinite righteousness and infinite holiness could absorb all of the evil 
and sinfulness and unrighteousness that could ever be thrusted upon him. That's how good of a substitute he was. He wasn't just barely enough. He was plenty. He covered it all. I think Luke has this in mind. I think Paul has this in mind as he's writing these words to us that he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made him dirty, but he didn't end up dirty. He conquered the dirtiness with death. I want you to imagine right now with me the sin or sins in your life right now that if your friends in this room were to know about those, you would be absolutely crushed. I want you to think about the most hidden, darkest sin in your heart, in your life. Maybe your spouse would know about it or someone else in this room or you'd be crushed just under the weight of that. And maybe you walk each day with the weight of that guilt on your shoulders. I want you to know, and Paul wants you to know, God wants you to know, that those sins you're those sins that you're thinking of right now If you're a follower of Christ, God has laid those sins on your Savior. They're not on your shoulder anymore. They don't sit there. Why why do we walk around with them on our shoulders? We don't have to. God, through His Son Jesus bore the penalty due for that sin. He was cursed for that sin. He has taken what you deserve for that sin so that you might have what He deserves for living sinless. Paul is saying, because of what God has done on the cross, you are a new creation that does not bear the weight of that sin because your Savior bore the weight of that sin. So, we think about being missionaries. If you've experienced and are experiencing that restorative work of God in your lives, you won't be able to help but share that with other people. But again, if God has become a relic of the past and you live by your self-righteousness now, then what do you have to share except for a good moralistic deism? Just living a good moral life, that's all you need to do. And that's how many of us live because we've departed from the necessity of the gospel in our lives to living by the self-righteousness. Instead of living in the restorative work of the gospel, the whole way through. It's God's work. It's first and foremost His work. And then secondly, it is our identity that God has changed by reconciling us to Himself through His Son. The third thing I think Paul wants us to see is that in light of what God has done, we now have the ministry of reconciliation. We now have the ministry of of reconciliation. Guys, I just have to say to you that, so as a speaker, as a preacher, even this morning, that I know some of you have that weight of which we just talked about, that sin, that if anyone was to know about would crush you, and to be able to share with you, and to encourage you, and to shed a tear with you, that that has been placed, that has been placed on Jesus Christ. Like, that's the ministry of reconciliation. That's an example of being able to share with you the ministry of reconciliation. A part of my tears was just the joy of being able to share that with you, that you don't have to, that I don't have to walk around with that burden. Why so much joy? Why, Why the tears? Because 
Because if we've lived that, if we've experienced that, then we're going to want to bring about that reconciliation to other people. But if we've not experienced that, then what do we have to share? Something we read in a book? To many of us, that's why we don't share our faith, because it's just something we read about in a book. It's not something that we've lived or are continuing to live. In light of what God has done, He has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is a theme that runs throughout this passage. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to him, us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul is saying, God is a missionary God who through a solo effort reconciled to himself, reconciled us to himself, he has now changed our identity to be ministers of reconciliation. God's solo work through Christ on the cross has now changed our identity. The reconciliation that has now happened to us, we must announce it to the world. It's like having a cure for, the, for AIDS and like you don't tell anyone about it. Like why would you not? What an enormous privilege we have. Guys, understand God could have done it without us. Right? We don't have to, God doesn't have to share the joy of being ministers of reconciliation with us. He could do that all himself and that would be totally fine. He's the one that deserves it. He's the one that devised it. He's the one that's doing it anyways. He just allows us to be a part of it by doing it through us. I understand God is the one who makes the appeal through us by implication. If God is not making an appeal to a lost world around you, then maybe you're not one of His. If there's not reconciliation and restorative work of God being happening through you, then maybe you're not His. Because it's God who's doing it. It's not based upon our efforts. It's God who's doing this missionary work through us. Now, something else I want to point out to us is that we need to understand reconciliation and being missionaries and ministers of reconciliation is not an event, but it's a lifestyle. It's not an event, but a lifestyle. This is, I asked someone again, you know, some of you have heard me say this, but I asked this person, what is it like to be in the life of the church of which you attend? And, and this person said, well, you know, we go on Sundays, and, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I tagged this as well with to live out following Christ. And to him, this answer was, uh, well, you know, I go to church on Sundays, and then I participate, we participate rather, in the, uh, the one or two outreach events that the church prepares for us. So that's what it means for him to be a minister of reconciliation go to church on Sundays, and to participate in the one or two outreach events that the church, that's not a lifestyle, that's not an identity, that's something you go to, you do, and you leave, but if your identity is a missionary, if your identity is a missionary, and what, I'm, what we're saying in this passage is that you're a minister of reconciliation, then you will be bringing about reconciliation around you, that's what it means, and it will be everywhere you go. How does the fact that I'm a missionary impact all of life? It's kind of like this. Uh, I'm looking forward to, I guess, some of these days coming up ahead as we have our brand new infant, Mr. Silas. Uh, it's kind of like this. Have you ever given a baby a bath in the sink that loved the water? Anybody here have a child that loved the water in the sink? I mean, some of them are like, what? No, I don't like it. But what about when it likes it? Now, our boys in the bathtub, right? So they're not even infants, but in the bathtub, 
They love, now, now their thing is like being whales in the bathtub, right? You know? As they're, you know, splashing, and uh, like, it's hard to give them a bath without walking away soaked. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but an infant in a, in a thing that, you know, in a, in a sink that loves the water, you can't walk away without getting soaked. Guys, this was the way our Savior's life looked and looks even to this day. You couldn't touch Jesus without being healed before you walked away. Because you couldn't walk away from Christ without getting soaked. Is that what happens to the people around you? Can they walk away without getting soaked with the gospel? Can they? Because they shouldn't. If it's your identity, then they shouldn't. Guys, understand when we live out this identity, like, if you remember from Gospel and Kingdom, the series, when we talked about the Abrahamic covenant and how God says that you, your offspring, will be, you'll be a blessing to the world. You are helping by God's grace and God's work in your life are bringing about the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. You're being a blessing to the nations, to the world. You're a part of something, that a promise that God made thousands of years ago. You're not a part of just some little teeny tiny plan that God had for the past, for your 20 years of your life. You're a part of something that's much grander than that. Now, I understand that living a life as a missionary is hard, so we need to address a couple things. I think there's two reasons why living as a missionary is hard, at least in our immediate culture. One is it's offensive to the world. The idea of proclaiming an exclusive gospel, an exclusive deity, an exclusive means to heaven, an exclusive way to live rightly, this is offensive, but this is our message. We don't get to determine that message. He does. We share it, though, because we want the world to see what? Our Father's love, right? It's His work. It's His reconciling work. We're not, we're not reconciling them to some, you know, crazy dude that doesn't care about the world. No, He does. That's why He devised this plan. But God is angry at the world. He is angry at our sin. There's a book not too long ago it's released that says, God's not mad at you. Well, if you're a sinner, God is mad. And He burns with righteous anger. The key, though, is that for those who are in Christ's righteousness, that are, are made the righteousness of God, as this passage talks about, no longer, no longer deserve the wrath and the anger of God. But this is our message. So that as we share this, we want them to see the love of God. It's not an act of hate to declare that there's one way to God. If it's truth, then it's grace. Make sense? If it's truth, then it's grace to them. It's the most loving thing that you can do. I would encourage you all to go look up um, on YouTube a video by an atheist comedian named Penn Gillette. P-E-N-N and Gillette is J-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. And he talks about, he's still an atheist, he's still lost, but he talks about the hatred of not proselytizing. What do I mean by proselytizing? Being a missionary, trying to introduce people to a reconciling God so that they would become a follower of his. He calls that hatred if you're a Christian and you don't do that. If you don't share your faith, even in an exclusive matter in which you believe it to be, meaning that we believe Christ is the only way to be reconciled to a holy God, Penn says that that's hatred for you to not share that. And I think he's right on. 
is hatred. Understand that if you don't share the truth of God's reconciliating work to those around you because of the afraid that it might offend them, understand that what you're saying is their opinion of that is more important than Christ's work on the cross. Second thing I think that makes it hard is our sin. Many of us don't share the Father's cleansing love because your or our self-righteousness leads us to think we don't need cleansed. Like Peter, we stand there and say, I'm good to go, or let me clean myself up for you, God. And instead, let's repent and experience reconciliation. Our sin gets in the way. Now the truth about God is that He alone is responsible for the reconciliating work in your life. Right? It's what we've seen today. God is the one responsible. He is the one who even grants repentance. He is the one. First, 2 Timothy 2.25 says, Correcting His opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. It is God who even in your reconciliation, when I said biblical repentance leading to uh, reconciliation, which leads to missional living, that biblical repentance, what I mean is an understanding that it's God who's bringing about even this repentance in your life. And it's a gospel work in your life. He is the one who provides this reconciliating work. He's the one who does it. And when you look at God's work on the cross, again, God's work here determines who you are. It has to be determinative or else it's not being applied in your life. It's not, it's not happened to you, if you will. God's, God the Father shows His love for us at the cross. And God the Father and the Son bear the cost of our reconciliation. And then God the Father has made us to be ministers of reconciliation. We're missionaries. If God has brought about reconciliation in your life, then you are a missionary. This is your identity. And I know maybe some of us are asking this question, or we've asked this question in the past. I've heard this asked many times. Well, how do I share the gospel? How do I share what you're talking about, Matt? Like, give me four verses and four steps, or some sort of track to share. And I would say... I. I wrote on my notes, this is stupid. That might be too strong of words, but um, anyways, I said it. Like, the problem is not, and the answer to this, the solution to the problem is not how to share the gospel. I think the solution there is how well you know and are experiencing the gospel. I think the key to sharing the gospel is stop living by your self-righteousness and live in the reconciliating work of the gospel. Because then it's your identity and then you're just simply going to share what God is doing. But let me show you. If you believe in what God has done on the cross in Jesus Christ, then this has to be true of our lives where we are now reconciling, we are taking this message this message, what? That He thrusted our dirty, nasty, filthy sin on Christ. That Jesus received what you deserved, the just judgment for that sin, and that you now have received what Jesus deserved. Guys, when that's true of you, then you have no choice but to speak the reconciliating truth of the gospel. Which is what we just talked about. Because then you have no choice. If you believe that to be true, then you have no choice but to live your everyday rhythms as a missionary. Let me give you some examples. When, when you eat, you will eat with co-workers and share what God has done and what God wants to do for them. I'm not saying you get up there and preach to them, right? But preaching ultimately simply just means proclaiming the gospel. How are you going to proclaim the gospel to them? That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to pull this up and say, well, my preacher said on Sunday, blah, 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 blah. No, matter of fact, I'd rather you not do that. 
What I think Paul is saying here is God's reconciling work in your life. Now go bring about reconciliation. It's not go bring about reconciliation apart from God reconciling in your life. It's a both and. Or maybe when you work, so if you believe this to be true and that you're a missionary, maybe when you work, you won't be so wrapped up in paperwork or a paycheck so as to let your co-workers and their families head on towards hell. Or maybe when you communicate, you won't settle for the shallow understanding of God that you get by with every day. Instead, you'll strive to know Him more so that you may speak of Him more clearly. You may speak of His character more clearly to those around you. Or maybe when you recreate, you will see people come to faith in Christ instead of just claiming that you share Jesus in order to justify a hobby. Is God doing reconciliating work in your life? Do you believe what this passage says? Do you believe that Christ took upon Himself your sin? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you and chose to reconcile you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you were a swollen corpse at the bottom of the ocean and God dove all the way from the shore to the bottom of the ocean floor to rescue you? Then this truth determines who you are. You're a new creation. Your missionary God and King has now graciously and mercifully transformed you into a missionary servant of the King. We're missionaries. We're going to live this out. We've got to believe this to be true. I want to pray for us. Father, thanks for your kindness to us today. Thanks for your mercy to us. Father, thanks for letting us be a part of your plan. Father, that we, it's not us that's just bringing reconciliation to the world, but Father, ultimately it's you that is bringing reconciliation to the world through us. At least the message, the message of that reconciliation. Uh, Father, um, Father, I, I pray that even in these next few moments that we would grasp more fully the reconciliating work that you have done in our own lives. And Father, we would understand that, that if we truly have experienced reconciliation that we can't help but share that. I pray that in these next few moments that we reflect on that truth. That you alone have done the work necessary to make us right with you. That we were dead and swollen on the bottom of the ocean floor and you chose to reconcile us. Father, let that impact the way we live our lives, particularly in our identity as missionaries. And Father, we love you. And it's in your son's most precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.